Stories on Media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. You're now going to hear from Matthew Todd. He used to be the editor of Attitude magazine and he's also the author of Straight Jacket, How to Be Gay and Happy, which, if you haven't read it, is a brilliant book about mental health in the LGBT community. I knew I was different when I was about five, I think. It was an awareness. I mean, it wasn't a pleasant experience. I wasn't like, oh, I'm different. That's exciting. It was, I felt very sensitive, very isolated, very different from the other boys. I started to feel very clingy, got crushes on friends. That just continued, basically. And I think but I was about 10 when I realised what it meant, what the word gay meant, and that that's what I was. And it was a very, very negative time if you were gay then so I really knew when I was 10 that oh god I'm this thing that is considered to be really really bad and hopefully it'll go away and it didn't go away. It doesn't turn to does it? No it doesn't. So what was happening around you then um, that made you think this is so bad I can't really tell anyone? What's, were people calling people names or what was going on? I was born in, in the 70s I don't think young people can imagine what it was like really because it just was not talked about at all I mean I was thinking about this the other day it wasn't just gayness that wasn't talked about, sexuality wasn't talked about, mental health wasn't talked about, sex wasn't talked about. The British especially, I mean not not just the British money means, but obviously that was my experience growing up in Britain, but a really, really repressed sexually, especially in the 70s and 80s. So on one hand you had this culture, this tabloid culture of kind of like page three with women with their breasts out, and you had like tabloids that would run these kind of exposés and sexual exposés about things that would happen, and they were always very condemning of people about affairs or divorce or whatever it might be, but talk about it in a very titillating way. So it was very strange, and and you, you didn't really see sex talked about not to be too graphic I mean I literally you never saw naked men you saw naked women a lot on the TV but you never saw naked men ne- I don't think I ever saw a penis on TV for a long long time mm. not that I'm saying I was desperate well I suppose I was <laughs> when I was younger but 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 not that I'm saying they should be that you should that should be on TV all the time but it's just interesting just about how boxed off sexuality was it was so it was just considered to be quite dirty I think by a lot of the, the mainstream and the British people were very very confused about it. so so, so gay was right at the end of the line you know literally was not talked about if it was ever spoken about it was oh my goodness this terrible terrible thing and I remember you know hearing a dinner lady talking about it in a nasty way and teachers talking about it in a nasty way and well it's interesting you talk about the papers as well actually mm. remember, but getting outed was a thing like the papers would out people yeah I mean and then so you know I was 10 when I realised I was gay and, and by that point it would have been 1983 1982 1983 AIDS had happened and there was hysteria in the press I mean the, the sun were particularly bad and I've written for the sun since and I think they are different now whether you like them or you don't like them, whatever, things have changed to some degree. But at that point, it was gays and lesbians, as it was then. We didn't really talk about bi, certainly not trans people at that point. Gays and lesbians were considered to be, you know, a threat to society, and it was portrayed that way the whole time. The Sun is obviously a a support of the Conservative Party, and so at that time, there was a general election. The Sun used gays to bash the Labour Party because the Labour Party was starting to become supportive of of, of gays and lesbians, actually. And so the Conservatives and the media that supported them kind of put this message out continually day in day out that if you voted Labour it was a vote for deviants perverts and an implication that gays were paedophiles that would attack your children and also were responsible for spreading HIV and AIDS so we were considered to be public enemy number one so I was absorbing that and suddenly thinking oh that's me and let's see if it'll go away hopefully it'll go away and I remember crying myself to sleep a lot and 
it was a horrendous, horrendous time, and I think it was particularly damaging for people who grew up in that time, right in the slap bang of HIV and AIDS, the media hysteria, and then Section 28, which came in in 1988, which is the law that Mrs Thatcher brought in to prohibit schools from talking about gayness in any way that was positive. So I'm guessing there was quite a few years then when you just internalised all this and, and dealt with it on your own before you even verbalised it to another person. Yeah, I mean, we know that LGBT people have higher rates of depression and um, addiction and suicide and didn't really talk about that much and, until I wrote about it, actually, in Attitude in 2010. And it makes perfect sense to me now because, you know, I, I was a kid, I thought about suicide a lot. You know, I, I really just was completely overwhelmed and had no one to talk about it. And there was no one, there was no internet, no Twitter. I, this is how crazy it was. The media made it sound like maybe there were a hundred gay people somewhere or, or something. It wasn't specific. But it was. Very, it seemed like to be gay was this tiny thing that there were these kind of freakish people, very small minority, don't know where they are, where they come from, but they are dirty and wrong and horrible. That was the message. Yeah, I, I always say that in the 1980s, I thought it was only me, Boy George, Jimmy Somerville, and Andy from Erasure. That was it. Yeah, I mean, I went Martina Navratilova. That was it. Yeah, it was so incredibly isolating. Mm. So, I mean, to, to have to deal with that when you're 12, 13, 14, without being able to talk to your parents, without being able to talk to school, with this idea that if you did talk about it, your parents would disown you, you'd be kicked out of home, and God knows what would happen to you. And it was horrendous, and it was really, really damaging. What my book is about is about how I think we shut down when we're teenagers, because I think it's so painful for us to be who we are. And it was worse then, but I think it's still like that for a lot of people now, because I think to be LGBT is still to be very different in this society. And despite the narrative of, oh, gay pride and everything's great and we're all so proud, that's not, I don't think, what the majority of young people feel when they're coming to terms with who they are, because everybody, human, it's natural for human beings to want to be like everybody else. And so it's, so it's really hard when, we, when we're young. And I think a lot of us shut that down because it's too painful to deal with and probably it saves our lives in lots of cases that we do shut it down so we can just get away from that pain. I think a lot of us become obsessed with music and pop stars and divas and entertainment and film, maybe sex and porn, whatever it might be, as a way of just not feeling that pain. But the problem is, is that when you shut that part of you down, you also shut down your general emotional development. I'm not saying that everybody has that, but I think it is very common. It's certainly what happened to me. It's certainly what happened to a lot of people that I know. And so when I did come out, and have gone through this period of, you know, it's terrible, it's terrible, it's terrible. That those were the messages. When you Don't, say a period, a lot of years. Yes, and you knew from yeah, the age my whole of five. Life. Yeah, yeah, my whole life essentially. I mean, as soon as I could have any understanding of what sexuality or what the world was, yeah, getting these messages that these weird, weird people that were bad and you shouldn't be that way, and I was that way. So you have that, that this kind of like keep it, keep it quiet, keep it quiet. It's terrible, it's terrible, it's terrible. And then suddenly you come out, and the message is suddenly, oh, it's fine now, it's great, and it's wonderful, and you should be proud. And it's such a huge, it's massive thunderclap of a change. I find that really difficult as well, and I found that really, really, really difficult. I really needed some therapy when I came out, but it wasn't available. It wasn't the narrative. Wasn't that the narrative was? Whoopee! You've come out now. Everything will be great, and that's not the reality. A lot of us struggle actually in our adult lives too. So, what age were you when you came out, and what, what was the process for you? I was 16, and I think I was on the verge of a breakdown. I think maybe I would have, I don't know, self-harmed or thought about hurting myself in a bigger way, maybe. I'd had this little kind of moment with a, a, a local kid where I lived years before and I was really desperate and I remember going to a phone box and getting his number from directory inquiries and, and calling him and speaking to him and he didn't want to come and meet me because he'd moved since that had happened. I was really desperate. I think I was reading Time Out 
at that point because I love theatre. And they had a gay section run by the journalist Paul Burston, which I was really grateful to him that he, he was there. And they had the number for Gay Switchboard. I called Gay Switchboard and they told me that there was a local youth group in Croydon where I came from. And so I called them and went to meet them. And that's essentially how I, how I came out. Wow, so you came out through like a sort of professional system in, in a way. So what was it like when you went there for the first time? You must have been very anxious, I guess. I was really anxious, and to be honest with you, it wasn't great, actually. I mean, it was, it's a d- double-edged sword. I mean, it, it was great in the sense that it was a place where I could go that was relatively safer than where else I could have gone. I mean, a lot of young people were going, would just go to public toilets and things like that or become escorts or, or whatever. I called this youth group. Basically, there was a guy who was manning the phone line, and he said, come and meet me we'll have a chat, see if, what you think of us and what we think of you and if you're right for the group. So I did do that. There were no mo- mobile phones and I clearly I wasn't out to my parents. So I got on the bus, said I was going to meet my friends, got on the bus, went to East Croydon Station, met, met the guy from the group and he said, oh, let's go, let's go back to where we hold the group there we can go there so we can talk I mean we were so terrified of even going for a coffee and talking about sexuality then because you know there was a lot of violence towards gay people then so we went back on the bus actually strangely enough near to where I lived which was really frightening and freaked me out and went to where they held the group which was in this guy's bedsit you know we used to go there once every fortnight on a Friday night and chat and stuff and then people would go out afterwards to a nightclub and it was great and I met lots of people that I'm still friends with now and then actually one of my friends from school came out there about a year later and we became best friends we're still really close friends now but I don't think it was a particularly safe space you know there were older people there older men that made it clear they were interested in the younger guys a lot it didn't feel like an appropriate you can't imagine that happening now actually can you no one would hold a youth group in their bed sit I mean it's not appropriate to hold a youth group in in someone's personal private flat you know let alone a tiny little bed sit but it's it's kind of like indicative of how secretive things were in the 80s I guess yeah, and also, you know, like, this is a really hard thing to talk about, but I think for me, when I was when I was coming out, the narrative was, we as a community, LGBT people or gays are perfect and could do no wrong. There are problems amongst our community. You know, we're not always perfect. We do bad things, some of us, as in the same way that people in the mainstream community do. do. You know, the first time I ever went out to, to a gay club, someone was really horrible to me, something really nasty about my appearance. It's not what you'd expect when you come out. I felt like I come from this place of like homophobia and being bullied and being isolated and not being able to talk and then I would come out to the, into the, into the quote-unquote gay world and everyone would be lovely and it wasn't like that. You know, the first time I even went to GAY and I love GAY, I spent a lot of my 20s in GAY but the first time my friend and I went on our own we went and asked a, guy, so a group of guys that we thought were attractive, probably four or five years older than us when we were about 18 or 19, for a light, because people smoked at that point. If you got a light, my friend said, move away, move away, don't talk to us, move away. I mean, that, that was, there was a lot of that in, in gay bars and clubs. And I write about that in the book, and I hear a lot of people saying they relate to that. And I think now it's on Grindr, the way we are not nice to each other on Grindr. I did a talk in York University, and a guy came up to me and said that there's not as many LGBT people than he wanted to make friends. He was on Grindr, and he spoke to somebody on Grindr who said one of the things they were looking for was friends. And so he spoke to him, tried to be friendly, and the guy said, why the F do you think I'd speak to a fat T-U-N-T like you? So I'm not saying that it's all like that because you know the, the, the gay community can be amazing and you know most of my friends are LGBT you know and I love them and it's been amazing and coming out was great overall it was not an option to stay in the closet for me but there are problems too and that kind of stuff is something you know there's lots no, of it's racism not, it's not talked about enough is it it's not talked about enough yeah and I think talk, Grindr's talking about it a bit at the moment this new kinder program yes. they're doing to, to combat racism and so on which is really important you know people of colour can experience a lot of racism on, on apps and stuff from amongst the community so 
it's it's difficult because it's really important to not be saying we're all bad we're all bad because we're not all bad whatsoever but you know i think actually a lot of that is to do with growing up feeling really bad about yourself absorbing these messages that we're we're not good and it's not okay to be who we are that can be very stressful and very upsetting and we internalize it and then project it onto other people sometimes some of us and i think we need to to, to deal with that so was there a, a process when you came out to your parents? Did you have that conversation with them eventually? Yeah, I used to go to the theatre a lot. I'm, I'm a big fan of theatre, written a play, which is exciting. Oh, I didn't know that. What's it called? It's called Blowing Whistles. Yeah, yeah it was on about ten years ago in London and stuff. But well, on in Manchester as well. Yeah, London and Manchester and been on in Australia and America. So I used to go to the theatre a lot. And I used, they used to have these little... Um, actually, I think there's still a couple of now little bookshops we could buy cheap books and things, reduced books. And I bought this art book. It was a Pierre and Gilles. I don't know if people remember them. They were these gay art French artists. And a lot of their stuff was very gay. They worked with pop stars like Kylie and Madonna. And they had these very stylized pictures. And some of them were quite sexual and quite gay. And I'd come home one night, drunk, and had this book in my bag. And I was looking at it in the, in the kitchen. Lived at home still with my parents. I left it out on the kitchen table. And yeah. the next morning, my dad said to me, Oh, I found that gay book that you, that you left on the table last night is there anything you want to tell me and I was like no 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 and I've completely freaked out I must have I think I was about 18 or 19 by then and then he came back in about 15 minutes later and I said oh what you asked me before the answers yes I am gay and uh, I can't remember if I burst into tears or not but he was lovely he said oh you're my son I love you it doesn't matter and that was that and he said don't don't tell your mum he was worried about like, that she would take it badly and I understand why he said that by the time I think I was 21 or 22, I was doing work experience Attitude, the game magazine. And I had told my mum and dad that I was doing work experience at OK magazine, which was in the same building. And my mum had put two and two together and she was in Tesco's, I think, and picked up Attitude to see if it was published by the same company mm. and she opened it up and there was my face oh. uh, with the first article I ever had published about losing my virginity so it was quite a difficult way for her to find out and so I think I'd come home on the Saturday and she was doing the ironing and she was in tears so it wasn't great it well, that's a quite a unique way to come out in a national magazine. It's a very unique, it's a very unique way to come out. Yeah. And it was kind of, I mean, it was a good article, actually, and it was funny, and it, it was quite explicit, relatively yeah. explicit. And so when I think about it now, I kind of laugh, but actually it's, it wasn't a great way for her. But then, you know, like maybe we should have talked about it. Maybe we should have talked yeah. about it. Because most earlier. people wouldn't come out and have that whole conversation about sex or their first time, would they? They'd just go, I'm gay. But. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's another complicated thing that, you know, like if you're, if you're I was thinking about this yesterday, actually, if, if you're straight, I, I've got lots of straight friends where, you know, some are very, very sexual and, you know, have slept with lots of people or whatever. But across the board, straight or gay, not everybody is, has the same level of sex drive. Some, yeah. some, some people, gay, straight, whatever, are not massively into sex. You know, maybe they, like I've got a friend who's had like two or three one-night stands in his whole life and mm. those in a very long-term serious relationship and, and sex is not the driving force with him. With my straight friends, I know some of them like, you know, like date girls occasionally, they're not that fast when they were younger but then they eventually got married but, but again, they're not that sexual. Whereas if you're gay, when you come out, the way that society is, it's almost like you're waving a flag that says, sex, sex, sex. So with men, when you come out, a lot of people will, will just think about anal sex. They'll just think, it's almost like declaring to your family about, yeah. about, about, about I have anal sex. Which, this is what I've always thought is the problem, Matthew. This is why I think 
gay people have such a hard time, well, LGBT people mm. have such a hard time of it because people always think about sex and they don't think about LGBT love. That, mm. They don't think about that. It's always about the sex, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's almost as if you're defining yourself by the sexual act or by the fact, mm. you know, like if you're a lesbian, then, you know, it's automatically like, this is what we do, what do lesbians do, you know, this is the kind of sex we have, yeah. you know, in the, same, in the same way with gay men. I'm not saying that's our fault, it's not our fault. But I do think where we do contribute, especially with gay male culture, is that gay male culture is so ridiculously overly sexual. You know, if you Google gay stuff, it's just porn and sex clubs and fetish and all that rest of it. And if people want to do that, that's absolutely great. But it frustrates me, and I don't think it's healthy, that the, the, the majority of gay culture is just so hypersexualized. There has to be a space for relationships and love and just having a life like you go to any gay village there's is what is it is bars and sex shops that's what it is isn't it it's, there isn't like yeah. community centers or bookshops so that's what yeah. it is yeah well the gay areas of places are always kind of like saunas and like you know like your kind of and summer sex shop vibe it's yeah. that kind of nighttime economy vibe yeah. and i think that's a real problem that over the years we've been so repressed we've been forced to conduct our lives in bars and clubs and that sex culture is part of it and the gay media plays a part in it. And, and i did too at attitude you know like I was editing Attitude for eight years and there were lots of sexy covers. And those were the only ones that people bought. I tried to do loads of others. Yeah. I put Beth Ditto on the cover, the first lesbian on Attitude's cover. Um, I'd have bought that. Yeah, the first, <laughs> I put Kelly Okereke, was the first out gay person of colour on the cover. And, you know, unless you were doing normally a, a white gay guy with a shirt off, the sales went down. So it's frustrating. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bitching and moaning about, about, about people who buy the magazine because I, I really have a great relationship with the readers and it was wonderful editing that magazine. But it's a complicated thing. And so that's what I, I'm hoping with my book Straightjacket that just talking about these things and saying mm. it's okay you know that there are some problems and that we can move forward and there are ways out of it I want to try and write more books and more plays and I'd love to write a film you know I really love Love Simon I think that's a really great step forward I know not, not everybody loves it but I love the fact that it's actually a very simple sweet quote-unquote basic story about and very mainstream yeah. very very main i think it's really important for there to be gay mainstream stuff it shouldn't be all of it but you know kids need to see some of that stuff you know i mean that for it's me, just normal that it's yeah. just normal you know like you know that just it's just about dating and flirting and sending tweets exactly. and facebook and all that kind of stuff because that's what it is for, that's what it is for kids yeah. can we just go back to your mother because mm. i want to know because sure. obviously that was quite a shock for her finding out that um you were gay reading it in a national magazine about mm. you having sex but how how did the relationship progress did she get over it is she okay with it now she had a really hard time at the beginning she denies that she did but she did but i think with my mum and dad I really forced the issue. I remember there was a documentary about AIDS and there was a just horrible, horrible, harrowing segment where uh, parents of this young man, this young gay man um, who had died of AIDS, and, all, and they had a picture of all his friends that all died of AIDS, and they were talking about the, 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 neighbor, the, the tabloid hatred for gay people at that point was so ferocious, linking it with HIV and AIDS the whole time, that the family had been hounded out of their home by the neighbours. And on the day that they left in their car, they packed up and they left in the, in the van or whatever, the neighbours were waving Union Jack flags as these people, these parents, these lovely, normal, suburban couple, just because they had a gay son, essentially, who'd had HIV and died of AIDS. And I remember showing, to, showing that to them and crying my eyes out because it was so painful. I think I just forced it on them that I had mm. to say, you have to understand this is what I've gone through. I didn't choose this. This is what I've had to live with, live through, feeling yeah. like this in society. And my, I love my parents and, they, and they've been great. You know, they've been really, really supportive. I remember one of my boyfriends, which is quite a serious relationship, I took him down to meet them for the weekend and they were really lovely and... 
and I remember my mum, my mum on the phone saying to me, oh, you know, she's very nervous about it. She found it really hard. But then, literally, ten minutes in, once he got there, because he's so lovely and charming, she said to me, "Oh, he's lovely," and so that really helped. And again, it's yeah. like, no, it's just relationships, isn't it? I mean, it's not surprising when gay people are portrayed as paedophiles. <laughs> and murderers and just deviants you know in the press so it's not surprising that when people's parents think well this is what I've been told and since then they've been great they came to see my play they they came out on the last night to the, um, the gay club where we had the party afterwards they've been to loads of attitude events when I was editing attitude with the attitude awards and things and my mum and dad would be there at the table getting tipsy uh, flirting with all the men my mum would be and, and every, <laughs> I remember James Wharton the soldier James Wharton came, came to me saying oh my god your mum's a gay icon I love her <laughs> so it completely changed and I'm, re I'm really lucky I have out of all my friends I have a really amazing relationship with my parents now and they couldn't be couldn't be better about stuff and I talk to my mum about gay politics and stuff now a lot it's really really amazing to see the way things have changed well obviously you've written a whole book on it about how mm. to be gay and happy but would you have any advice for anyone coming out or thinking about coming out because as you've said yourself it is quite a difficult thing to go through it is really hard but I would say you can't live your life repressing yourself because it's really damaging and you deserve the best. We all do, everybody does, regardless, gay, straight, trans, cis, whatever we are, bi, you know, the whole gamut, all the different pansexual and all these different things that we have now. Whoever we are, we all deserve the best. We all deserve to live a really full life. And there is only one life. You do not get a second chance. There's no point staying in the closet. And there's no point worrying about pe how people react. That said... I know sometimes there are families that don't react well and there are communities, you know, like I met a lot of young Muslim people that we don't talk about this very much, but I met a lot, a lot of young Muslim people who have a really, really, really hard time. We as a community need to talk about that more to support those people and talk about those issues. And I wouldn't be saying, absolutely, you must come out to all your friends and family if you're not in that situation where, you know, if it's dangerous to do that, then it's understandable. You've got to be careful. You've got to make sure you're safe. That is the main priority. But there are organisations, there's Switchboard and there's the LGBT Foundation in Manchester. There's lots of different people that you can call for support and there's different places you can get therapy and you know podcasts like this are really great because people can just hear other people's experience and I think I would say in my experience most LGBT people that I know once they've come out give it a bit of time you know that fear of what will happen will I be rejected I'd say that 95% of people more than that would would say it's the best thing they ever did I, I don't feel it's even an, an issue you know I'm, I'm so glad that I did it when I was 16 and got it over and done with because to stay in the closet would not be an option for yeah. me. Well, you'd already done it for 10 years then, haven't you, essentially, as a child? So. Yeah, I mean, it was a slow kind of drip, drip kind of thing for me about understanding what it was. But um, And also, you know, I have to, we've spoken about some of the, the downsides of mm. being out in the gay community and stuff, but also it's an amazing community of people, actually, you know, I've met so many incredible people, you know, people in the army, people in the police or teachers and allies and friends. And there is, there is so much support. And I think we are actually talking about the mental health stuff. We're getting better. We are starting to address the drugs problem that a lot of gay and bisexual men have. We're starting to address all of these problems about self-esteem. We're not all healed yet, but we are starting to, to, to make a change. I was at the Attitude Awards and um, I was sat with Judy and Dennis Shepherd, who the parents of Matthew Shepherd, who older people will remember, but younger people won't. He he was a 21-year-old man who was homophobically beaten and left to die in Wyoming, in America. It would have been 1998. He was 21 and he was murdered for being gay, essentially. And his parents, just this lovely, nice, sweet, quite you know shy people, 
started the Matthew Shepard Foundation and his mother Judy has gone around America talking to kids in schools, talking about acceptance and tolerance and they eventually wow. lobbied and lobbied and lobbied and Obama brought in this hate crime act in, in the name of, of Matthew Shepard and another young man as well. And I was just thinking, yes, they, there can be difficulties that we face with self-esteem and all that stuff, but we're also in this amazing community where, you know, there are people like Judy Shepard who have helped and have, you know, it's a terrible thing happened to her, but she's been there now helping young LGBT people. And, you know, there is help and there is positivity and, there, and there's, a, there's lots of things to really, really celebrate. And I think, you know, more of that would be great. And I, th I think if people are worried about coming out, just think about that, think about the fact that there is a huge amount of support out there and lots of really amazing people. A huge thank you to Matthew Todd for taking time out to tell me his coming out story. And if you haven't read it, I must recommend Straight Jacket, How to Be Gay and Happy, a brilliant insight into mental health in the LGBT community. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. We'd also love to hear from you on Twitter. You can find us there at Come Out Stories. I'm Emma Goswell, and Coming Out Stories is a What Goes On media production. In the next podcast, you'll hear from Doug in California. He realised he was gay when he had sex with his best friend. The day after, he had sex with his girlfriend. He shoved his hand down my pants and we ended up having sex then. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I can have sex with anything. <laughs> <laughs>